Welcome to Earhopper Presents Let's Talk About. And today we're talking about artifacts. And here in the studio with me, I have a good friend and uh, amazing, uh, amazingly talented musical audio guru, Jacob Winnick. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here in the studio. Thank you for being had. Um, I will say it's a little intimidating in my crude makeshift studio to a, a person that works at one of the best studios uh, that I've ever recorded in, Tiny Telephone, here in San Francisco, and now Oakland. And you've, you've been an engineer there how long? Uh, it's been about seven years or so. Yeah, 2010. Wow. How did you... I never asked you this. I need to know your origin story. <laughs> I never asked you how well, you I was like... injected with a serum at the age of four. <laughs> Can you shoot <laughs> secret like, government conspiracy serum? <laughs> can you shoot like uh, secret things out of your hands, like uh, Spider Man? Uh, yeah, but they're not, they don't really do anything. They're sort of like puffs of air, so it hasn't <laughs> hasn't really taken off as a direction for my life. <laughs> oh, the story. Oh, that's a whole other. <laughs> what? Uh, how did you meet John? Like, tell me like the evolution of like how you even got involved with uh, with Tiny Telephone to start. Uh, well, let's see. I guess. Um, it started for me when I was going to school in UC Santa Cruz, and I was studying film, and I was really enjoying it, but I discovered pretty early on that I wanted to work in music and not in film. Mm -hmm. And I started just trying to find studios and people to learn from, and that set me on a path of like basically doing it as a hobby in a more serious way, and then interning with just anybody in any like serious place that I could find. Um, ended up back in the Bay Area and got an internship at Fantasy Studios in Berkeley. Right on. Uh, which That's is, kind of a famous place, right? Yeah, like, it was started in the early '70s, I think '71, and a um, bunch of amazing stuff's come out of there. And it's it's maybe it's I guess it uh, it's one of the very last studios in the Bay Area from that era. Got it. Um, that's still like a functional running system. Wow. Uh, so anyway, I was there for not that long, maybe six or seven months, mm -hmm. and very like close to the very end of it, uh, John Vanderslice was going to record a record there, um, and he happened to be doing it with the Magic Magic Orchestra. Oh, is, this is uh, all coming together now. Yeah, uh, which is a cool modular orchestra thing. It's become like more than just an orchestra. I think now it's also maybe considered an artist, mm -hmm. Magic Magic as an artist. Mm. Uh, but I was also, at the same time that I was interning at Fantasy, I was interning with them as a just like a sort of just like an assistant for stuff that they needed. So I would go to gigs that they had and help them out or recording sessions and mm -hmm. help them out and just sort of wanted to be around that and learn about the different, you know, I had only really been in like the rock world of music and sure. I wanted to learn more about the orchestral world and like, see what that was like. And mm -hmm. it was particularly intriguing to me because it was all younger people. It wasn't like the stereotype of like an older, stuffier classical crowd. Yeah. Uh, so it turns out that John was making a record with them. And this is like 2010? This is in 2009. Okay. I believe it's 2009. And uh, it seems strange that he would go to another studio because he owns Tiny Telephone and he, he's had it since 1997. I was going to say, he's had Tiny Telephone for 10 years before that, almost. Right. Yeah. More. Well, more than that, yeah. Um, I guess it would have been 12 years at that point. But uh, I, if you've ever been, you've been to Tiny Telephone in San Francisco, the I room have. is not particularly large for an orchestra. No, it is not. Uh, it's large enough for most things, but most things are not usually orchestras with like 30 people in the room. Right. Uh, so he wanted to find a place where he could both fit a whole orchestra of people to record most things live wow. and also record it all on tape. And there aren't that many places that can do that. Yeah. Fantasy was the place that he went to. Uh, he only booked two days there to do like an entire record. <laughs> Yay, John! Yeah, which was awesome. And uh, had the whole orchestra like scheduled for like, oh, this three-hour block is strings and then it's horns and it's this and it's that uh, for two days. Wow. And... I was like, and it was on a weekend. Uh, normally, when I was interning at Fantasy, I was just there on certain days, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because they had they have like a whole team of interns usually, and yeah. so they have certain days, with certain people, so people can get a fair shot of like learning how to do stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, oh, this is a weekend thing. No one's ever there on weekends typically. Like they, it's not really a system that usually has full up weekend of people. Got it. Um, and I was like, oh, well, the orchestra's there. I know them. Like I'm interning with them. I'm just gonna go and like help everybody out and see what I can do to help. I mean, I would imagine with an orchestra, you're dealing with, they need more hands on deck. Right, yeah, right? totally. I mean, they have some people that were part of the Magic Magic system of people, like they had Mina Choi as the director, so she was conducting and also coordinating a lot of stuff, and they also had Julie Vanderham, who was, gosh, I'm not sure what her title would have been, but mm -hmm. she was like the second person that was doing everything else, basically. Mm 
but they needed help. I mean, it was a lot of people. I can't imagine, yeah. And the studio needed help because um, they're not really. I mean, not that they don't have large sessions, right? Uh, but it's not the most common thing to have every day. Yeah. And they also, at the time, uh, were never recording on tape. So this was like a whole other level of complication for so them. So they had moved on to digital at this point. Yeah, studio? Not, yeah, I mean, my impression is that, that I mean, actually, well, in that time of me being in there for seven months, that was the only time I ever saw them turn on a two-inch tape machine. Oh, wild. Uh, even though they have many of them, like physically have like many just, of them. Just they have, the I think, two two-inch A800 studios in both of the two big studios. Yeah. Just like in the background of the, just like the back of the room. Yeah. Sort of just collecting dust, I guess. And then they, sure. they have a storage room. I mean, this is at the time, maybe, I don't know what's happening there now, but they have a storage room of maybe like 20 or 25 Jeez. decks that were all the same model that were just sort of like Pieced maybe out. parts or well, backups. As or... an aside, I think the last time I recorded with you at Tiny Telephone, there were those extra studers sitting out in the hallway, mm -hmm. and that was when you were like, well, you need backups for when things break down. Totally, yeah. Which I do. never, you wouldn't think about, but yeah, of course you do, because they don't, th that shit doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's not made anymore. Right. It's, it's like you have like some 1960s hot rod car, and yeah. you're like, well, I actually need to get this, get across the country with this, you know? <laughs> like, right, you right. You can't just like switch and do something different at the last second. Like, you need it for whatever reason. Yeah. So you need to have backup parts, and yeah. Uh, if something goes down in the middle of a session, you need to be able to roll a new one in and hopefully get going pretty quickly. Yeah. So you meet John and so is he like, uh, yes, this is, was he, did he have a cigar? And he's like, this is the kid <laughs> I need for my studio. <laughs> I don't remember a cigar. Uh, I remember getting him tea. So he was a tea drinker at the time. I think he was actually sick, if I remember right. He was like having to sing and he was like kind of sick. So he maybe wasn't quite as gregarious with everybody as Got he normally would have been. Um, plus, there's like so many people there at the same time. It's probably like 40, 50 people yeah. roaming around. Both like players waiting and staff for something and, to do, waiting to be told, and right. go. Yeah, and like this, there's. I had this sense that this that the studio staff was more stressed out than normal because of the tape thing. Yeah, uh, which was is a funny thing to think about now because I use tape machines every single day, and I find it to be less stressful than working on a computer. Uh, which we'll get to. <laughs> Bookmark that. Uh, but they they were like, oh god, we have to have a tech like on like on site just in case something happens. And yeah, we got to hire them hourly, and uh, yeah, it was this whole thing. Wow. Um, but um, my, my experience of it was that the whole session went really smoothly and mm -hmm. everyone was super happy to be there and really positive and helpful. And Yeah. Um, what record did that become? Just so That was White Wilderness. Oh, okay. That took, wow, was that, that took a while then, right? I'm trying to think, when did that come out? Because that was like my, when I first, it must have been like 2010, 2011. Let's see, I guess maybe it was recorded in 20, I'm trying to remember the date. Because that's, I mean, no, that's a great, I love that yeah. record. I think it probably came out in 2011, okay. but was recorded, this would have been in August. So it was like it was the end of 2009 or 10, okay. I'm only saying that because that was my, when I moved here, that was the first record I bought by John. Hmm. Because that was when I met you and met John the first time I recorded there, and that was the record that had just come out. Yeah, which is a stellar record. Everyone should check it out. Um, I'm still I listen to it all the time. Still. Yeah. What? Um. So so then you're like, okay, cool. I'm gonna do this tiny telephone thing. Well, I was there for. I mean, I was on the session for like just two days, and then yeah. I, all I did was write him an email and was like, hey, you know, that was like a really fun experience. That was. Uh, like a lot more interesting than most of the projects that I had experienced while yeah. interning in all different studios. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, you know, this is like a testament to you surrounding yourself with good people and people that are competent and positive, and I really appreciate that. And, and that was and that then, the first thing you had done to tape? Just uh, Yeah, I mean, I was like, sort of on the periphery. I was just like helping out on the session, so it wasn't even it. really me. Right. Uh, but that was the first time where, yeah, I saw like a larger scale session happening on tape that yeah. wasn't just like... You know, like a task cam at someone someone's garage or right, something right, like that. Right. You know, this is like large scale in a real studio. Right. <laughs> uh, it's so weird yeah. to think that like there there you are at the beginning of the 2010s, looking at something that is was like they were freaking out about, which was done for years and years right. yeah. before the idea of digital and computers uh, mm -hmm. even came into play. That's just kind of fascinating. Yeah, that like the what was it's novelty. What was like the the peak of like a high-tech technology became this thing that people were like stressed out about having to deal with again. Right. Which is fascinating. Like I, I'm just thinking about um, so many people I know that work in software design. They're fans of old analog cameras like Hasselblad's mm -hmm. and like Le Le Leica's. Leica's, mm -hmm, yeah. I think. I'm not a camera guy. Um, and there's something about that. Like you, you, it's like you learn this whole uh, methodology of committing something no matter what the medium, but then you want to kind of the farther you go into it, you kind of want to, that's, I guess the artifact thing I'm thinking about. Cause, sure. cause one of the things, um, 
I think we're good on how you got to know John. Yeah, yeah, I met him and he's a cool <laughs> dude, and I still know him. Turns out he's still a cool you dude. Still know him. Um, I think one of the things that I it took me a while too because when I started to get heavily involved in being in bands and recording, it was when ADATs were really popular. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the first couple records I made was at a studio in Sharon, Ohio, that was like 16 track ADAT. And just and, for people that don't know what that is, that looks oh, yeah. like it looks like a VHS tape. It looks like a VCR. Yeah, so it's like the peak of VCR audio technology. And it's like the worst <laughs> sounding Which is digital but on tape. He had 20 bit. I remember this. And it I thought it sounded easy and great and I listened like I got the shit years later, like I got the tracks like Yeah. And it's just it was such a bad sound. Like the 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 uh everything was gone. It was like there's like I don't know, it yeah, was like a copy of a copy. Something. Like, yeah. yeah, the medium that you start with, it it impacts everything else. And I think for me, uh, when I, which is weird because tape was something that people stopped doing in the 90s because of its, you know, it was like, I don't know, it was too much work. Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious reasons are like the limitations of not being able to do nonlinear editing. Right. I guess, yeah, I guess it did kind of, kind of come down to the editing piece of it. But then like you still had these purists for a while. You know, mm-hmm. before before uh, people sort of like come back around to like, it, it, you know, you can do both. I don't right. know. I guess I guess thinking about like uh, all the times I've recorded a tape, uh, I still own these giant reels of tape yeah. of all these recordings I've done. You know, and, and like my girlfriend's like, "What the yeah, fuck like, is why that?" Why do you have these big why- giant boxes of <laughs> tapes that you can't use? Right. And they're like, what what is that? Like, yeah. like literally don't know. And I think it's like we got rid of our dictionaries. This is bigger than that. Why? Right. So that's okay. That's a great analogy. So when you're okay, let's say I'm uh, let's say I'm a 22 year old guy that's writing songs and I come to you and I say, hey, listen, I really want to record. And you say, okay, you can come in and like there's tape costs because mm-hmm. I would think mm-hmm. it's the cost piece. That's going to be the first thing that's going to make them maybe light up. I don't know. How does it, like, how do you, how do you talk up, about it, it with people up, that have never done it, I guess is my, uh, my point. Like, what's, what's the way you, you, what's the way, the angle you take to make them realize that, I mean, clearly both of us are fans of it, but the, the angle that it's the way to go for well, like this depends, band, this kid's band. It depends on in. the person and on their situation and also just if they know anything about it. There's a, there's a whole set of people that just don't care. And right. there's a certain amount of, like, is it is it worth talking to them about it or not? But they don't care to the point where they'll let me choose, and then I choose tape because it's more fun, and I like it better. <laughs> yeah, you said that. Or like, okay, so what is more fun about doing the tape? Like, if you were to, like, quantify. I, I think it's more fun because it makes you listen in a much more active way and stay present through the entire process mm-hmm. in a way that when you have a visual representation of everything on a computer screen and can save... Uh, potentially endless amounts of things it makes people lazier and Mm. it makes you expect that there's this safety net that you can fall back on totally that if you forgot to do something or that one thing you did sounds horrible it's okay because there's like 18 other versions of it right and we'll figure it out later we'll fly in the chorus yeah we'll just figure it all out later copy paste uh which is like a pretty lazy attitude to have not everyone has that attitude and it's not like you have to have that attitude but it's right it's very easy to have that attitude what would you say is like the biggest, I guess, challenge if you're if you're dealing with, and maybe you've never dealt with this, but I would think there might be someone that would say would argue about like, well, can't you know? It, it seems like it's going to be more time consuming, or it's going to be more uh, expensive, or are there like sure? Well, the the most uh, the most like important pushback that I have for that is that it actually, in my experience, has saved overall time on a project because you have to make decisions from the very beginning. Totally agree. So if you don't make decisions until the very end, then you have a lot of decisions to make at right. the end. Right, And just having to like, having like the mental capacity and focus to do that yeah. is very time consuming. Yeah. So even something as simple as like, we only recorded three different versions of this one song and the, they're all the attempting to be the same thing, but they're slightly different. Like yeah. one person messed up here or 
um, the tempo was faster on this version or whatever, yeah. just having to make the decision as to which one you like better yeah. way down the road is hard. Yeah. And maybe that's up to one person. Maybe that's up to 15 people yeah. democratically, which yeah. also makes it take longer. Right, right. Uh, so when you're on tape and yeah. you have a finite amount of tape and you have a finite amount of tracks and you are listening to stuff, you make decisions about whether you like stuff in the moment or not. Mm -hmm. And I actually find that the decisions made at the moment of creation, I think are generally more confident mm -hmm. and lead to better final results mm -hmm. instead of trying to split the difference between all these other things down the road and not mm -hmm. being sure about any of them. Yeah. And also having the sense that your whatever decisions you're making in the digital realm can always be undone. Right. Right. In fact, I the reason I met you was because when I booked the time at Tiny Telephone in 2011, I John said to me over email, do you have a an engineer and I said I don't care as long as they work very fast that was me because I uh -huh. was recording everything by myself yeah and I just wanted someone that would be like okay do the take is it good good move on because I knew I wanted to like you know get shit done but I think it's I think it's funny um, I totally agree with the commitment uh, aspect and I think when I think about having this um, this idea of an artifact I think about the dumbest thing just came into my head which is like that Kanye West record that came out late last year mid last year where he kept making changes to it after it had already like been released he right. kept like changing shit and yeah, I like could respond to how people were responding to it yeah and like like I think he put new mixes of same songs different versions and I had I had a bit of an existential crisis uh, as someone who does a lot of stuff, likes to make a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. does change his mind a lot. I change my mind a lot. Sometimes like I work mm -hmm. on arrangements and like I'll listen to a whole arrangement. I'll be like, what's missing here? I got to start from scratch, blah, 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 blah. And then I thought to myself, well, when is something finished in, in 2017? When is something considered finished? And it's this thing, right? Yeah. So I can see how Kanye upset that for you where it's like, maybe it's never, ever, maybe nothing is ever finished. Right. Or which is totally disconcerting to the creative process. Okay, another great example, a different example, but a similar example. They released a, I think it was um, Steve Albini in the studio back with uh, Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl, and they basically remixed or went back to what was considered the older mix of In Utero, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the record he recorded with them at Pachyderm back in whenever. The one that he was upset that they remixed without him. They did the remix without and him. And that was the one that became commercially released in the 90s. It was released and everyone, like, there was, like, it was a very polarizing record at the time. I loved the record at the time. It was, it, people called it abrasive and, you know, it was in your face and the drums were too loud. And But they re-released it, uh, I think it was the 20th anniversary, is I want to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe 2014. It's a guess. Um, and they went back and they did, they did, they remixed it, clearly Kurt Cobain not around, based on the original notes from the recording. Mm -hmm. I have a connection to the original record, the original mm -hmm. released on Geffen, this is the record. Right. But when that came out, I was chomping at the bit to hear it. And uh -huh. I was so excited. And now, I prefer those mixes. I do. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And I love that I have access to both. Right. So thinking about this idea of finalizing something um, and making it like a thing, uh, it's just it's a curious like argument. Right. Well, I, one thing about these two examples is that it only matters if it's a large enough release of something that like enough of a population experiences it. Right. That they even recognize that there has been a, a change to Difference. something. Interesting. So, I mean, if you were to release something so and well you play it just great. for your family or something, and then, you know, a year later you're like, Hey family, I made this, <laughs> I made like an adjustment to this thing. They'd be like, yeah, cool. Do we'll you like the mix with more reverb right. or less I mean, reverb? And I think that it does matter if the artist cares and it matters to the artist. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, in the case of the Nirvana one, I think it's also like, I mean, how much material can be mined from a short period of time. True. And so that, and there was like a reason to revisit it with the original people that worked on it. Right. Uh, and it gave like Steve Albini a shot to like, like work on something again. That a bit of redemption. One of the things he's like most famous for. Yeah. Right. Uh, which makes it really interesting and it makes it like an academic study in a way from people that are like inside of this world that it's like, huh, like this is like how it could have been or like which one, is, you know, it's, it's an interesting debate, right? There's, um, 
have you heard uh, this might be something you don't care about but the uh the the first pearl jam record uh they had uh brendan o'brien remix it who uh-huh. he you know he got he got involved with them later on uh-huh. uh and basically made it more like a classic rock record like uh-huh. got rid of all that reverb that was all over everything um kind of kind of diminutized the uh the fretless bass sound that uh-huh. was all over uh-huh. that record um I, again, I prefer it. It sounds yeah. better to me. But if I didn't have that original artifact, there, there, there'd be no reference point. There'd be no reference point to it. And it's also like, oh, like 20, 30 years ago, was that, you know, or when the original version came out, is that like, would, if this other version had also come out at the same time, right? would like what the experience would have been like then? Like right. maybe we only like it now because of what's happened in music for the for the past couple of decades or something. Right. right. right? So it's hard to know. Yeah, it's a. Sub- I mean, it's very subjective. It's it's so it, like I think about like when well, I got I mean, the, like the Beatles, like Sgt. Pepper getting remixed. It's like holy shit, you know. It's like the one of the most famous records of all time, right? And yes, it's George Martin's son, and there's like a real connection to it. But I'm sure there's an equal number of people that are, that love it, and an equal number of people that are upset that they would ever even touch it. Right. Right. Totally. I'm sure it's a polarizing issue amongst that, yeah. that for me, crowd. For me, I just think it's fun because it's like there's so many versions not? to listen to. It's like, why not enjoy all of them? They're so oh, different. When that Cirque du Soleil <laughs> remix record came out where it was basically like a 90-minute like mixtape of the Beatles, I thought it was great. And a lot of people will think that's shit. You know, they're like, <laughs> how dare you desecrate this? Like, but if it's not modern, like if it's not, uh, if it's not relevant, it doesn't matter. Like if it's not relevant to you, listen to the old shit. I think that's like getting back to like what we're talking about is like when when do you say... This is this is it. Like this right. is a representative, this is like the definitive version. Which I love what you said earlier because you said people have to commit. There's a commitment that has to happen earlier in the process, and I mm-hmm. think that that when I think about this larger thing of where we're at right now in the world, commitment is very difficult for people. Like people are having sure. a hard time. They're having a hard time committing to what they believe in. They're having a hard time committing to philosophically uh, what's right for them. Because there's this whole idea that you can change everything, right? But and is nothing, that yeah, nothing is permanent. Is that like a good thing or a bad thing? You know, like like should we have a president that's there for four years, or should we be able to like maybe you know, we should have a dictator that's there forever? Maybe for, everyone wants that. Maybe, or you know, maybe we should be able to like you know hire somebody else in like six months if things mm-hmm. aren't working out. So I think this idea of like what is a, a legacy, what is an artifact, when we think about creativity um it's a very like it goes in a lot of different places that's why i was curious like as you know talking talking about like working in the space of getting people to commit to things that maybe they're not used to like Mm -hmm. they're sitting in the studio with you there's a finite amount of time which is committed to like you have to commit to that on some level Mm -hmm. like unless unless you're like you know loaded on some financial way where you can just keep doing you know like Pink Floyd taking a year to make the wall. Right. Um, and who knows, you know, imagine how many other versions of that there are mm-hmm. sitting around. What, like, how do you, when, when you're talking to someone about coming in and, 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 and you're, you're thinking about best use of time or best use of uh, energy, like, what are some of the key things that you're talking to them about? Are you, are you getting into those bigger things about, like, what, I mean, what does this record mean to you? Like, do you ever have that conversation with people or is it more just you are there to just capture... A moment. Um, I've, I mean, I've had both experiences for sure. I mean, some sometimes an artist or a band will have like a pretty clear vision about what they're doing and what they want to do, and mm-hmm. they may not know how to get there, but they at least kind of know where they're going. Yeah. And then um, I get to help like facilitate getting to that spot in their brain that they've landed on with their music. Yeah. And which is something that can change as you go and is totally malleable, but. There's at least a direction. Other times, it's yeah, it's like talking about what the direction should be and how to get there. Uh, the medium informs that. Um, I think that people come to me and come to Time Telephone because they know that there's a certain perspective on that, mm-hmm. which is being really present mm-hmm. and being creative in the moment and totally. making and making decisions the whole time, and um, potentially finishing things faster and like doing more things as opposed to attack like attacking one thing. Mm. And doing it endlessly and getting really, really, really microscopic with it mm-hmm. until you've lost all perspective on what it is. And then maybe a year later you release it and then you do another version. Who knows? 
You, and you're really good at that. You're really good at putting things in perspective in real time. Um, I've I admired from day one. We've done like five, six recordings together. Something like that. From yeah. day one, I was like, okay, um, he's saying exactly what I need to hear right now, which is you could do that, but how long is it going to take? I mean, you don't say that directly, but you get you get that in my head to think about. Um, and, and something you just said, which I like, is have you been in a moment where you see that 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 degradation of creativity happening due to indecision like does that can you think of like a moment in like your recent past where something was happening and you're like you because of your perspective Mm. you saw it and you're like okay this is a bad route for this band or this person or this artist to take right now like maybe even multiple takes where you know that the last take like you see diminishing returns sure i mean i think everyone reaches the point of diminishing returns at some point (laughs) some people get there faster than others I'm uh, usually around four or five that, o'clock. That's when I start. Sure. To, I don't <laughs> I care. Natural, Sounds great. That's natural because you have, you have like a job, like a real person. So <laughs> some people don't. Some people five o'clock is when they start. You know, who that's knows? That's true. That's true. Uh, but yes, yeah, different different people. Yeah, sometimes it's just amount of time, and you spend too much time on one thing, and then you you lost everything that was cool about it, or yeah. anything that was exciting about it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a tricky thing to read what's happening because it's really specific to the person. Yeah. I'd say it's more specific to the person than to what they're doing. Mm, mm-hmm. It has less to do with like, are they a really great keyboard player and they're struggling with this keyboard part, or are they like a really pumped up person and they're happy to commit to stuff and they're really present and then things go faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's sort of like there's like a million factors happening at the same time. It's just like you make a decision and you go with it. You've used the phrase present. Are they really present yeah. a few times? I'm curious your thoughts on that. Like. When you talk about presence and you think about like the work that you do where you're, I guess part of your job is to bring that out. Well, okay, to bring it back to the idea of an artifact. Yeah. I think that if you are just sort of there and not paying attention mm. and you're making an artifact of something mm-hmm. uh, and you're, you're like involved in the creation of something, then like there's a, there's like down the road it maybe will be noticeable that you didn't care or that you weren't there or that mentally you were thinking about like what you ate for breakfast that morning or whatever it was. And so I think it matters to pay attention and it matters to be present. And the medium changes that. I think when you can save everything, then it's so like in a, in a digital realm, when you can save everything, it's easy to forget that it matters that you're paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. What? Okay. So here's the big question. Phones in the studio. Uh-huh. Have you noticed a correlation <laughs> between and then the so second layer be, to that is being like pre- like mentally present if, or yeah not? like if they're well like, it, it, I, I guess it's, it's, <laughs> there's a lot here uh, because you're dealing you know I don't know what like I don't know what your data would be around like what percentage of people are just living artists uh-huh. or people that are like working day jobs and they're taking time off uh-huh. uh, or there's there's something else in their life that is pulling them in a way that they they need to also pay attention to that while they're with you sure recording i'm just curious like yeah i mean well to be totally honest like oh yeah none of that matters to me right i like i know that there's a million things about a person going on there's many things going on with me all the time like you know but like that shouldn't necessarily be a factor into like the flow of what's happening in a recording session right uh inherently it will affect it no matter what like if you are dealing with like a medical thing or you have like a family fight happening or you just lost your job or like all those things like are not controllable by us being in the room working on music. You know, that, that's just right. like part, that's part of life. Right, right. And of course that will inform what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that um, you shouldn't be present with what's, what's happening. Mm. I feel like, I feel like there's this um, misconception by people that don't, make records or maybe work in television, anything where you're, you're getting together with a group of people to create something. There's a misconception by people who don't do that, that it's this magical experience. Like it's almost like a vacation on some level. Yeah. And I say this yeah, from, yeah. from my experience where people are like, Oh, you went, you were in a recording studio and you, you know, or like, Oh, you're yeah. on tour. Or like yeah, yeah. people don't think about the fact you're just a person doing this thing. And there's still, uh, every amount of, ups and downs that come along with this right. thing that you're trying to commit to. I would maybe take it further and say that the people that are the best at making art are probably more aware of all these things happening in their sure. lives and they can use great that point. and they can like use that to make their art interesting or make it authentic for them. Right. 
Yeah, I think there's, um, I mean, I think all of us go through our identity stuff when we're in like high school or whenever, you know, the, the time where we come out and, and, and figure out who we are. Um, I think for me, I spent a lot of years worrying about, uh, about genre. Uh-huh. <laughs> For lack of a better word, and like what, like what you want? What am I? Like when yeah. I, when I, when I, you know, because I'm one of those people that does a lot of stuff. I put out a lot of songs. Yeah. And How many you, records have you put out into the like world? Thirty. That's amazing. It's like thirty. I, actually, I started a spreadsheet, um, and I have like 540 BMI, like records, the songs. Excuse me, songs that are uh, that are like officially registered. That are officially registered. That's amazing. BMI. It's amazing. That, that's a huge feat, actually. It's, I think you should be really lot. proud of that. I, you know, well, it's, it's funny because there's, I don't know that there's a theme sometimes. You know what I mean? Besides me. Yeah. And I think that, that was that's the answer. It is, which is, you know, at some point you're like, all right, yeah. uh, like right now I'm working on this like weird Neil Diamond record here with this like eight my half inch eight track machine and like radical panning on everything because I've yeah. been listening to the meters a lot. Uh-huh. You know, where it's like bass and drums on one side right. and like keyboard and which is often a byproduct of the medium totally it's a (laughs) it's a byproduct of the medium and i've been you know i'm still recording to to computer but then i'm actually bouncing it to tape afterward Uh which i've never tried before (laughs) uh to various good or bad um but the thing i think i i think that the idea of identity and struggling with identity during those years i think about a lot of young bands that i've worked with um to various degrees and most of the time, it wasn't until they got away from who they sounded like and got into what they wanted to be while they were recording. Uh-huh. Like, what kind of band are you when you're just the four of you in a room? And, oh, by the way, it's being captured. Yeah. Here's this moment. Here's this artifact. Lots of times when bands have heard that stuff back that I've worked with, that's the moment where you see them all figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's like they're yeah, like... yeah, yeah. You hear what everybody else is doing. <laughs> oh, we sound like this? Right. And that can be either amazing or devastating. Have you ever had that moment where you're working with someone, it's their first recording? And yeah, you see... I would say that I usually see people being really excited. That's I, good. I think that it's pretty rare that I've seen someone... The opposite. ...record something, come into the control room, we play it back, and they're We're like... the worst! Damn it. You know, like... This isn't what I want it to be. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, people are often very self-critical in that they want to do the very best job that they can, which I think yeah. is a great inclination. Yeah. At some point, it becomes perfectionism and it become maybe problematic. Right. Uh, but it's usually that people are either they're not satisfied with the, what they hear back, and therefore they want to like beat it. They want to yeah like do a better job, or yeah. they're like, wow, like this is happening, and like this is real, and like we just did that. That's great. Yeah. Are you finding, like, going back to this idea of artifact, are you finding bands still want to make records, like, full records? Yeah, absolutely. Like, is that still the majority of the people you're working with? Uh, I mean, it's always it's always a range. I mean, some people work on a song or two at a time. Some people work on an EP. Some people work on a full-length record. I mean, I would say that it's more common that I've had people working on EPs just because it's, like, maybe an easier thing to bite off. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, less... It's just a little bit less complicated to do five or six songs. Sure. Uh, sure. The usually when it's a full length record, it's because they've really figured something out. It's not just because oh we have like thirty songs and we're gonna do ten of them. It's they're like there's like a reason that they all fit together. Yeah. For the most part, people are thoughtful about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe because it's like not an expectation that you do albums anymore. Yeah, that's true so too. If, so if it's not an expectation and you are gonna do it, maybe you should think about it. I'm why. still. I still think in terms of like fifteen minutes aside. You know, yeah, like 20 minutes is like the perfect amount. Of I'm thinking about a 40 minute, 30, like 40 minute album, <laughs> like the Royal Panics. We're putting our record out and it's yeah. just, it's just the right amount on both sides. I'm just getting into side one and I have to flip it to side two. Mm-hmm. What do you like when we think about that? Like we, I'll just use that as an example. We, my bass player, God bless him, is like, why isn't the, why haven't you put anything on like all the streaming services yet? And I was like, we just got the LPs back. Like, this is a year, almost a year in the making. Yeah. Plus, you know, two or three years in the writing and the, the being a band. Sure. Um, and I just want to savor this one moment where it's this one thing that I'm holding in my hand that needs to be addressed and, like, you need to put it, you need to put your attention on it. Right. You have to, like, have it in your hands. Yeah. You have to, to like, there's a, there's, a, there's a process to it. So I'm curious, like, that's a big way of getting to... These bands you record and they're recording to tape, 
and they're committing to things, they're finishing something, where does it go for them after that? What have you noticed? Like, is it Bandcamp? Is it they're making LPs? Like, what are you, what is your feel on this art? The idea of like, it's a, it's a physical artifact, like it's a thing. Yeah, I guess like the final release tends to be mostly digital, like digital, digital download streaming, mm -hmm. less and less physical CDs, mm -hmm. uh, but definitely more and more vinyl copies of things. Yeah. Uh, usually the vinyl is just, it's just a cost thing that it prohibits some people from For doing sure. it because it's something that's, unless you're an active working band that's like playing shows a lot and potentially touring all the time, it's hard to unload them if you make a thousand of them. It's, it's the hard to unload them part. That's really it. Because uh, that again, it's yeah. the value that other people put on it. Right. You know? But if you, if it is viable to do that, pretty much all the bands that it's viable to do that with want to do it, which right. I think is great. Yeah. Uh, I think that the artifact thing is interesting in that most of the time, like probably 99% of the records that I mix will end up on half-inch tapes as their final mixes. Yeah. And then the band will leave with this box of however many tapes, you know, like three or four of these half-inch reels of tape yeah. that take up like, you know, a good chunk of their bookshelf or wherever sure. they put it. And I see that, like, even at the, it's like the whole record is done. Like, we finished mixing, and they're leaving, and they're carrying this heavy cardboard box <laughs> of stuff. And I can see that it means something to them. Yeah. The times that that has not happened, and they're leaving with like a little USB drive. Yeah. It's not nearly as profound of a moment for anybody. <laughs> 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 they're just like, yeah, we finished it, whatever. Don't yeah, this thing's in my pocket. Sure, like that's part of it, I guess. Yeah. But even that doesn't feel real. Like the the hard drive doesn't feel real because it's probably on another hard drive too. And right. why can't you just email it to me? You know, like yeah, there's, there's a, a sense of like, even that is not a permanent artifact of something. Yeah. Even though it really should be like, they should treat it like that because <laughs> right. I mean, hard drives can fail and digital files are not permanent by any means. So right. there's a, um, there's a whole uh, sort of movement I've noticed lately where, well, you know, someone we know who uh, just had a baby who I won't bring up, plays on a record and maybe you're the guy that does the engineering on this person's record and this guy records a lot of songs. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, I don't know yes, his name. Yes, I know who you're talking about. I'm not the person engineering. Okay, but, but, but he apparently a, records all these songs person. and then does nothing with them. They're just for him according to Yeah, I think a person. lot of them. I know that some of them have been released. Oh, okay. Um, I know that I found a hundred of them on the internet. Yeah. hundred like, songs. Just like... Uh, which is... Amazing. I mean, how prolific can you be to put out that much music all at once? And not like, it's just there to, for the existence of, of, it sounds like, from what I know, it's just there. Just he would be exists. a good person to interview about. <laughs> but I yeah. don't know him personally. Yeah, but I mean, I, it makes I me was fascinated too. by that. I think as it is like fascinating. A, well, it's a very unique way to approach it. Yeah. And I think that, um, I bet there's a lot of reasons. I, I mean, it seems like part of it is to just go through the process of making those songs yeah. is meaningful in itself and that what happens after you've made them is not the only reason to make them right it's kind of like when the wu-tang clan did that record and they, made, they made one, one copy yeah, one. <laughs> How and that's that guy's name that weirdo Shre shekel Shrelly, Shrelly, johnny shreckle i don't know something like that <laughs> i don't know but like he's the guy that buys it like it's like Didn't there's he threaten this... to ruin it or something. Yeah, he was like, yeah, I don't know. But the, the idea of this like one of a kind, precious thing, which it sounds like there's only that finite moment when a band's walking out of the studio, and everything they've worked on for who knows how many years, leading up to that point where they they come into the studio, they record with you, you commit all this stuff to tape, and they walk away with it. That's probably the last moment that's going to be like that because at some point it's going to go out and it's going to be proliferated in some way. Right. Uh, even if you, even if you only, and, and I've thought about this, like maybe I should just make a hundred copies of an LP, but then I, I also have this whole other thing where it's like, then no one's going to hear it. You know what I mean? Like, right. If it's only, if it's limited to that, you talk right. to people and they're like, yeah, send me like the video, send me your YouTube, send me your band camp. Like I like to listen on Spotify. So it's like, it becomes this sort of, uh, this little game with yourself. Right. You know, where it's like, what does it mean to you? Yeah, and I go through this all the time, especially as someone who's <laughs> well, like you're through it a lot. Of, like, I released a lot of, a lot of shit, so yeah. it's like it's like you know, is there is there something to like keeping something a little more precious and like right, like a little more. Uh. I mean, I I would say that if it matters 
to you as the artist and if you that then it matters and right. if you think that it matters to the people that like the music yeah then it matters yeah if you think it doesn't matter to anybody and you don't care then just do what like the path of least resistance right like put it in all the space spaces that people like to listen to it on you know who knows <laughs> there's there's multiple companies now popping up and maybe you're aware of this that will will make like one to ten records for you yeah, I don't understand how that works. <laughs> I don't know how long they last. Like, I think you, we've, you've got to have a finite amount of spins on those. Sure. But it's, well, it's maybe like a, similar to whatever, like when you would, when you like could get, get like a, a floppy record inside of a magazine. Oh my God, I remember those. Flexi discs. Yeah. I have a Steve Vai flexi disc somewhere. And how many times did you play it before it, it fell apart? It sounds like shit. Yeah, the first time sounds like shit. It sounds shit. like and shit then the, the first third time. Well, the needle's work. like not even barely. It's like, I don't know what to do with this little yeah. piece of plastic. So, well, then it makes me wonder too, like, is it more about just having an artifact right. for having an artifact? And it's not even for about the, the music of. on it. It's just being like, hey, I got this thing. I mean, I know, I know that plenty of people as fans are into buying vinyl records at shows because they like the band and they want yeah. to support them. And they don't own a record player. I've sold multiple vinyls to people at shows that do not have record players. And they look at it as like a, a novelty. Like for them, it's yeah. like... they want ironically, they the novelty will last longer than whatever other version they Totally. Have. It's like, I just want to support you and I like it. It looks cool. It's a piece of art for them. Yeah. Um, so this is going to seem totally whack, but Nine Inch Nails, uh, they did an EP uh, in November, I think it was. And uh, I'm a I'm a, I'm an unabashed Trent Reznor fan. Uh, I will say that um, he grew up near my hometown, so I have a kinship. He uh, he put this record out, and for like five bucks, you get the download, and then it said, and you'll receive a physical product. I just said product. And then in like February, in the mail, I got this envelope that was just full of black dust. <laughs> That's awesome. It was like what? anthrax. Did they say what it in was? Verse. No, it just said on it, like, warning, be careful, this will make a mess. That's all it said. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so now he has a whole new EP that they literally released yesterday. And uh, it's the same thing again. It's like, you'll receive a physical product. That's all he says. And you don't mm -hmm. know what it is. But it's this idea that even though you're getting this digital thing, mm -hmm. which is just the music that they've worked on for however long and put all their blood, sweat, and tears into, you're still going to receive something physical right. in the mail. It's going to be related to it, but it's not... But it's maybe it's not of any function. And, and yeah, in the case of the first one, it was literally black powder in, a, in an envelope. Right. Which I... And what do you do with it? I didn't even open it. I like literally went on the internet to see what everyone else was saying about it. And I'm like, I'm just going to leave this sit in my closet. <laughs> but I still have it. And it's a thing that represents yeah. this, this album, this EP yeah. that he made. So I think about that and I'm like, well, what, you know, like, what is it that like is going to get people, uh, you know, excited again to feel like music's precious? Um, because I, I've gone through a long period where, I feel like as much work as people like you and I put in to creating these things and these experiences for people, there's a real disconnect about the value of what it is. Sure, absolutely. Like people will spend money, remember for years, they would spend $300 on an iPod and want all the music for free. Right. Um, now you just want it for free with your phone. Right. Which you have to have anyway. Right. To live in the modern world. Right. In an urban center. Right. But tiny telephones booked up for months. Like right. people are seeing the value of this analog experience, this life, this experience that is physical on physical. Like you hit a drum, you play a guitar. These are physical things. Yeah. Well, I think if you're recording on a physical medium that's tape, I mean, a computer is a physical object, but, you know, it's being converted into numbers. So it doesn't feel the same. Yeah. Having like this thing that's spinning <laughs> and like moving and clunking around next to you feels like something real is happening. Yeah. Like, and I think the, there's got to be some kind of psychological connection between you being in a room playing a physical instrument and then having something physical around you that's part of that process of capturing it. Yeah. Yeah, do you think it's like the idea that like shit could go wrong? Or south? Sure, yeah. I mean, or actually, left? I think that's uh, that's cool. I, I like that there's like a little bit of danger involved. Though I, I think that danger with the computer is just boring. Danger with the 
tape machine is like, wow, shit, maybe it'll catch on fire. I don't know. <laughs> like, nobody knows anything about these things, right? Like, they're ancient. Yeah. It's like, yeah. well, you know, you learn enough. It's like you learn enough to figure out how to fix things when they break, hopefully. <laughs> there's something, there's like. But when a computer breaks, you're like, gosh, call the IT guy or like, let's hopefully someone has Google on their phone and we can figure out why the computer crashed. <laughs> Ironically, you need a computer to fix right. anything. Like, I remember reading an article about um, R2-D2 in the first Star Wars. And I think I, if anyone listens to this, they'll probably know that I'm totally full of shit. But I feel like what I read was <laughs> coming up with the lights that, you know, how he's like got this little light that yeah. bleeps and the, 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 the moving head and the bleeps. Like, there was some uh, stiffness in the early stages of it because it just didn't feel real enough. Uh-huh. And this is a this is a trash can robot right. that we're talking about here. This isn't a real trash can it, robot. Yeah, it was it's it not was, moving enough. Right. And and I think there's there's something in there about um even if you know like people that work in software design talk about this all the time where you get to this point where uh people still need to feel there's a something physical or something um relatable to how they interact. And I, when I think about recording to tape, you said it earlier, and I totally agree. When there's not a screen there, you're you're totally deep and you're totally present. But the times I've recorded to tape, and it's been a lot, I am always looking at the tape. I'm yeah. always looking at it. <laughs> it's still going, right? I'm like, like it's, it's still going, there. right? Is it taking like 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 you said? There's an element of like, is it not working? Is like, is the track down, or is there something like, is did I forget to demagnetize it or whatever the fuck? You know, all that sure, shit. Yeah. Um, that I never feel on a computer. I just never care. Like I don't care. Yeah. Like I feel like well, it's it a different set of expectations too. Like in the right. modern in the modern day, right? It's like you naturally expect all digital things to function perfectly, right? Which is crazy. And if because they when they don't, people are, lose their shit. Right. They lose their shit. And I think like when I recorded this computer, like if this computer died tomorrow, I'd be like, eh, I'll go get another one. But mm-hmm. this this like '90s eight track sitting behind me, like I worry about it. Like I worry about it sitting in this room. I'm like, if there's an earthquake, is my yeah, what happens to is yeah. my task <laughs> my task cam gonna be okay? Like I worry about it. There's yeah. something about it because it's physical and it's real to me. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. Well, but. I would say that uh, for me, it's that that it, it's like a constant reminder that you need to pay attention, and that Great. when you're on a computer. There, it, there isn't this constant reminder because there's this sense that it's perfect and that if it fucks up, I just restart it. It's fine. Right. And I don't like that. That sucks. I, that like doesn't work in my brain. Like if yeah, if you're playing a song, you may not play it that way ever again. Right. right. And so like you got to be on it. Like you got to make sure you get that and like be able to like have that preserved as an artifact. Yeah. Whereas a computer, you're like, oh yeah, it didn't work, guys. Just do it again. Right. Do you think too, going back to like the Kanye West example, do you think that it's does it diminutize it when you have so many options? Like, does that take away from the experience of capturing this thing because you know that you can alt you know, alt Z it or whatever, control Z it and like redo it or blah 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 blah. Like Yeah, I mean I think that depends on the person. <laughs> yeah. I think that's hard to like Yeah. Some people go I think I think some people really struggle with the idea that you can't endlessly redo things. Mm-hmm. And I think for me and for a lot of people that I've worked with, it's more freeing that you can't save everything and do everything over right. and over and over again. Right. Have you had have you ever had a moment where you're like I just I I I fucked up and that was the greatest performance that this band is going to have? I'm only thinking about the I mean, the I've times. definitely fucked up. Sure, everyone fucks up. <laughs> but I don't, fortunately, I've been fortunate that it hasn't happened at like the most amazing peak you moment in someone's like, artistic oh, life. Oh, <laughs> I really missed that. Uh, I mean, yeah, yes. I mean, I feel that way anytime I mess anything up. Got but it. that doesn't necessarily mean it was at a crucial moment for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think like when you think about um, the fact that you came from film and then you, you went into audio and now you're, you're kind of like an analog audio guy. Like, you're one of the dudes. Like, do you ever think about the fact that, like, you probably couldn't do this with film? That I couldn't have the same attitude about art with film? or <laughs> you pro- There's a good chance you wouldn't be able to work in the analog realm sure. if you were making yeah, film. I mean, well, I don't know enough about, like, high-level filmmaking to really say. But, right. I mean, how many decades of, the fi- of, like, Hollywood history was made on 35-inch film? 35-millimeter sure. film? Sure. I mean, it's... 
it's not like an analog tape for music. It's not like these are new concepts. And right. It's not like this is something where today nobody knows anything about it. Right. There's just fewer people that are on top of it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and the people that did like use it for a normal amount of like a lifetime of a career are older now. Just yeah. Because the te- technology has moved on. Yeah. I I wonder if as as people are like becoming creative, like I remember the first time I saw the phrase "I'm an iPhoneographer." I saw no, that. I've only ever seen that phrase. <laughs> I, I, I saw that on someone's because I work in hiring. I saw that on someone's um, resume one time. I'm an iPhoneographer, uh-huh. and I remember having this moment of complete like I laughed. Yeah. But now I'm like, actually, I don't know why I laughed because it's still a medium to create something, uh, even though it's totally. digital and even though it's immediate. Um, and I think about like when I have parties, like we'll always put out the the Pantax version of basically a Polaroid, you know, and every, every party I'll put out like five rolls of film. It's gone. You know, Mm -hmm, people mm want to like take pictures. They want it to come out. It's this thing. They hold it in their hand. Yeah. And what do they do after that? They take an Instagram of the print of of the the print (laughs) off the, you know? Yeah. And I think about this idea of like, what's, what is permanent for people now maybe is just temporal at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like maybe we are, Maybe as a species, maybe as a culture, we are so big at this point. You know, there used to be room for everybody to be buried with a giant tombstone. Like, we might be past that now. And, like, the idea of just mm-hmm. existing, and this goes back to, like, your present, you know? That's yeah. the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, an artifact is an artifact, whatever form it takes, right? Yeah. Some artifacts last longer than other artifacts. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting thing to think about, right? Like, Yeah. You take an Instagram of the Polaroid that you just took, right. which one will last longer? That's up to the curator of those artifacts. Right. Like maybe your phone, maybe you immediately went to the bathroom and dropped your phone in the toilet. <laughs> right. And that photo is gone. Right. Maybe you immediately crumpled up the paper and threw it in the garbage. Like it's it's up to you to keep track of artifacts. Right. And it's, if you it's, care about them or not. It's, it's, it's crazy to me to think about, I mean, you know, it's like this whole SoundCloud thing we talked about before the mics were on. Um, you know, SoundCloud is going through a big upheaval right now, and people are worried they're going to lose their 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 files. They're going to lose this thing that, in actuality, like, is it a thing? Like, it's just right. kind of ones and zeros uh, sitting somewhere on a hard drive. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's it's a thing if it matters to you. Right. Great point. It's a thing if it matters to you. Yeah. It's not if you don't care about it. It doesn't matter if it exists or doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, Jacob. This has been a wonderful conversation. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, thanks for being had. And uh, I look forward to recording with you again. Me too. Very soon. Do you have a website or anything you want to like say? Uh, if anyone listening I need to this? a web builder, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll send you some links. Sounds great. Awesome, dude. Thanks. Thank you.